Turn in your Bible, if you will, to the book of Psalms. We are in a series this summer called, what else, Summer in the Psalms. And today we're looking at Psalm 103. The book of Psalms right about in the middle of your Bible. If you don't have a Bible of your own, we have Bibles around the... Just reach under a chair, turn to page 637. 637 and you'll find... Psalm 103, one of my absolute favorite psalms in the Bible. While you're turning that, uh, I want to also add, as Michael did, a happy Father's Day greeting to you dads. And one other just reminder, we have this Sunday and next Sunday before the end of June, we are, as you might have read in the email newsletter this past Friday, trying to really make sure that we end this fiscal year strong. So if you haven't yet been able to add a little extra offering Send an offering to the church to help us finish strong in the black. That would be really good. Help us get off on our new fiscal year, July 1st, with strength. All right, Psalm 103. Listen as I read God's holy, true, and inerrant word. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies with you with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known His ways to Moses, His acts, to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass, he flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him, and His righteousness to children's children, to those who keep His covenant and remember to do His commandments. The Lord has established His throne in the heavens, and His kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you His angels, you mighty ones who do His word, obeying the voice of His word. Bless the Lord, all His hosts, His ministers who do His will. Bless the Lord, all His works in all places of His dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. The Word of the Lord. Let's pray. Holy Spirit of God, thank You for this marvelous, marvelous passage that You wrote Thank you for reminding us of your love in so many ways and with so many different words. Spirit of God, now illumine our hearts and minds. 
It's one thing to read it. It's another to absorb it, to understand it, and then to apply it. And so we ask you, Lord, in this time to equip us that we might become more like you and have more and more of the love of God controlling us in every word we speak, every thought we think, every act we do, we do that we might be your ambassadors in this needy world that is so much in need of the love of God. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, the older I get, the more I forget. I was at uh, First Watch having breakfast with someone a couple of weeks ago, and the server asked me what kind of fruit I wanted. I wanted a side of fruit. And for the life of me, I couldn't think of the word cantaloupe. <laughs> they had a mixed fruit you know, cup, and I said... Uh, there's one thing I don't want in the cup. And I was thinking cantaloupe, but I couldn't think of the word. I'm losing my mind. I'm getting Alzheimer's in my older age. If uh, I'll tell you right now, if I ever say to you here at the church, hello, brother, hello, sister, it's because I've forgotten your name. You might have read about a man who was found wandering around Discovery Park in Seattle a few years ago. He didn't know who he was. He had on neatly pressed khakis, an, ex, uh, an expensive dress shirt, and $600 tucked in his sock. He was fluent in at least three different languages, English, French, and German, and had this incredible knowledge of European history but he had amnesia. So the authorities picked him up and checked him into a hospital and used the name John Doe. The newspaper put his picture on the front page. And pretty soon this man was identified by friends and relatives who saw his picture on the newspaper who lived all over the country. It turned out that his name was Edward Lightheart. He was 53. He'd been an English teacher in China, a chef in New York City, he owned a huge art collection. He had lived in cities throughout the U.S. and Canada and Europe, and nobody knew why he had turned up in Seattle. See, this guy, Edward, knew a lot about a lot of things, but he had totally forgotten the most important thing in the world, for him anyway, his own identity. In this psalm, David says it is very very important not to forget. But he's not talking about forgetting the names of different fruits or the names of people or facts of American history or even your own name. He's talking about forgetting the most important thing in the world for everybody in this room, your own identity as the child of a father who loves you very, very much. Verse 2 of our text is going to be sort of our root verse. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. I want to talk today about remembering and not forgetting how much God loves you. Three things. Why you should remember. When you should remember. 
and how you should remember how much God loves you. Let's look at those three questions. First of all, why? Why should you remember how much God loves you? It's because our tendency, yours, mine, ours, as human beings, is to base our identity and find our joy and build our hope on things we do rather than on what God, out of sheer grace and out of nothing but love, has done for us in Jesus Christ. We all face this temptation, right? Think about it. Today, being Father's Day, a lot of you are dads. Maybe one day we'll be a dad. It's wonderful to be a dad. It's wonderful to be a mother, a parent, a grandparent. But the danger comes when we try to get our identity and joy and hope from how well our kids are turning out or how well they behave or how well they perform at school or out on the ball field rather than finding our identity and our joy and our hope in what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. Think of you who are not dads, but young adults or singles or college students. What are you fighting? Well, every day I suspect you're fighting the tendency to find your joy and your life and build your hope on having a boyfriend or a girlfriend or getting engaged or being popular or being good looking or something like that. Those of you who run a business or work for a ministry, same temptation. Your tendency is to build your hope on the bottom line or on the number of people on your team or how well your company or your ministry is doing or whether you're on full support or not or your sales or revenue or market share or the degree of influence you have in the world or whatever. See, all of us do this in one way or another. We look to earthly or temporal or even idolatrous and sinful things for our sense of significance and satisfaction in life. We forget, forget that the true wealth and the highest blessing in life and the greatest joy in the world is the love and compassion of our Father in heaven. And when we forget, see this is the, this is the danger, this is the risk we take. When we forget how much God loves us, we sabotage the Christian life. We cut ourselves off from the very power source that God has ordained for living a holy and fruitful and abundant life. Namely, living it out of the gospel, out of the love of God, out of the acceptance and favor and adoption of our Heavenly Father. That was one of Israel's problems in the Old Testament era, wasn't it? Didn't they have a problem with forgetting? The whole book of Deuteronomy, if you read that, you'll see again and again mention made there of remember, remember, do not forget. One example in Deuteronomy 4 verse 9, Moses speaking on the banks of the Jordan River to his people as they just about were ready to go into the promised land says, take care, take care and keep your soul diligently lest you forget the things your eyes have seen and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Deuteronomy 4, verse 9. Now, look, you would think that there'd be no way the people of God would forget how much God loved them. Right? If if you're familiar with the history of Israel, how in the world would they forget the love of God? In fact, in our very psalm here, in verse 7, 
It says that God made known His ways to Moses and His acts to the people of Israel. Think of all those acts. Think of what God had done for the Israelites. He had chosen them out of all the nations on earth. He had delivered them from slavery in Egypt. He would parted the Red Sea. He would protected them through their journey through the wilderness. He had provided food for them. He conquered their enemies. He provided leaders for them, leaders like Moses and Joshua and Deborah and Gideon and Samuel and David and many, many others. But what did they do? Over and over they said, well, that was then and this is now. We're not sure God can really take care of us. We're not sure he's really for us. This situation that we're in right now seems pretty bad. We're not sure God even knows about it. We're all alone. God does not love us. The Israelites forgot the love of God. And we do the same thing. We take our eyes off of God's love. We fold in on ourselves and we try to figure things out on our own and muscle our way through. We let guilt and shame get the best of us. We, we inevitably then, when we do that, as I said earlier, we cut ourselves off of the life that God wants us to live out of. And inevitably we fall into some sin because we've moved out of step with the Holy Spirit. It's so important to remember the love of God. A few weeks ago we observed Memorial Day. What is Memorial Day? Why do we call it? Memorial Day. It's a day of what? Remembrance. We are remembering the men and women who have died serving our country in the armed forces. Every year we remember. We are reminded on Memorial Day. And sometimes you even hear that phrase, lest we what? Forget. Lest we forget associated with Memorial Day. Well, the same is true when it comes to our lives as God's people. You know, it's possible to know a lot about a lot of things and yet to have forgotten the most important thing of all, just like Edward Lightheart did, the love of God for us. You've got to remember You've got to go back and recall the things that God has done in the past in your life and in the lives of others around you lest you forget how much He loves you. So that's why. Second question, when? When should you do this? When should you remember how much God loves you? Well, all the time, right? Every day is Memorial Day for the Christian. But especially in times of trouble and difficulty, especially when you're suffering, should you remember the love of God, especially when you're feeling the weight of your sin and feel unworthy and guilty. Now, Psalm, let's do a little math. Psalm 103 follows Psalm what? 102. Let's look back at that Psalm. Turn in your Bible, just take a a page back and Check out Psalm 102. I'm going to read a few verses of Psalm 102. Where the psalmist says in verse 1, Hear my prayer, O Lord, let my cry come to you. 
Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me. Answer me speedily in the day when I call. For my days pass away like smoke, and my, bur- my bones burn like a furnace. My heart is struck down like grass and has withered. I forget to eat my bread. Because of my loud groaning, my bones cling to my flesh. I'm like a desert owl of the wilderness, like an owl of the waste places. I lie awake. I'm like a lonely sparrow on the housetop. All the day my enemies taunt me. Those who deride me use my name for a curse. Are you getting the idea? This guy's in trouble. He uses words like distress, brokenness. You feel it, don't you? You feel the brokenness. You feel the trouble that he's in. Verse uh, 10, because of your indignation and anger, for you have taken me up and thrown me down. My days are like an evening shadow. I wither away like grass. Look at verse 23. He has broken my strength in mid-course. He has shortened my days. Oh my God, I say, take me not away in the midst of my days, you whose years endure throughout all generations. And then... Psalm 103 comes, and the psalmist says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. When should you remember the love of God? When you're in the Psalm 102 situation. That's when. Especially should you remember the love of God when everything around you and inside you seems to argue that God doesn't love you. That's when you do Psalm 103. That's when you begin to say to yourself, Come on, soul. Come on, soul. Come on. Bless the Lord. See, what David is doing in Psalm 103 is positive self-talk. He's talking to his own soul. He's having an interior conversation. He's pulling himself out of doubt and despair by preaching the gospel to himself. You know what negative self-talk is, right? Anybody in here do negative self-talk besides me? Sure we do. I'm so bad. Here's this voice. I'm so bad. You're so right. Uh, you're, You're worthless. You're right about that. I can't do this. Uh, Nobody loves me. You know, you go through these tapes and you hear these things and a lot of that self-talk, that negativity comes from the enemy. He's not called the accuser for no reason in the Bible, you know. He accuses us, he lies to us, and those kinds of accusations come from him. But Psalm 103 is positive, gospel, biblical self-talk. And that's what we must train our minds to do, especially when we're in the Psalm 102 mood or situation. In Psalm 102, David didn't see a lot of hope. He says, my days pass away like smoke, verse 3. My bones burn like a furnace. But then he thinks, but bless the Lord, O my soul. In Psalm 102, he felt like a lonely sparrow on the housetop. What an image, right? He says, I eat ashes like bread and mingle tears with my drink. But bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Forget not, soul. Come on, soul. Forget not 
all his benefits. And notice what remembering the love of God does for this man. We presume it's David. It says of David at Psalm 103, the title. Notice what remembering, recalling the love of God does for him. It gradually turns his heart away from himself toward God and toward other people. Let me show you what I mean. Verses 1 through 5 of 103, he's looking inward. He's calling his own soul to praise the Lord. Verses 6 through 19, he's looking outward. He's calling the believing community around him to bless the Lord. And in verses 20 through 22, the end of the psalm, he is now looking upward. He calls the angels and all of creation to praise the Lord. See, that's what remembering the love of God will do for you. It'll give you an outward and an upward perspective instead of thinking about yourself all the time. But first, you've got to talk to your own soul. You've got to call your soul to remember God's love. So we've seen why it's important to remember God's love and when we should do it. Now let's get practical and talk about how. How can you remember how much God loves you? And the answer is by doing what David does. By rehearsing the particular things that God has done for you throughout your life. That's exactly what David does. He rehearses throughout Psalm 103 the particular things, specific concrete things that God has done for him throughout his life. Again, we go back to verse 2, our anchor verse. Verse 2, he says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. You ever heard that old hymn, Count Your Blessings? Count your blessings, name them one by one, count your blessings, see what God has done. And that's what David does in Psalm 103. Now, I wish we had enough time. This psalm itself would be a sermon series. There's not enough time to go through the whole psalm and pick out all of the benefits that David is rehearsing. But let me mention three. Three benefits that David calls to mind as he's speaking to his own soul, and they're all found in verse 4. Here they are, redemption, steadfast love, and mercy. Okay, so we're going to look at those three things as three of the many benefits that David calls to mind. Number one is redemption. Look at verses three and four. David says in this prayer, this praise prayer that he is making, he forgives all your iniquity, and that's simply another word for sin, heals all your diseases, and, verse 4, redeems your life from the pit. Now, there's redemption, the first benefit we're going to talk about today. Uh, When I was a kid, I would go with my mom to the local grocery store, Community Cash. She'd make her purchases. She'd pay the bill at the end, and they would give her a number of green stamps. Some of you remember green stamps? Oh my, I loved seeing those green stamps because when my mom got those green stamps, she gave them to me, and when we got home, I'd pull out all those booklets and start, you know, pasting those stamps onto the booklet. And then when we got enough booklets, we would take them to this town 30 miles away from my hometown where there was a green stamp redemption center. Sure enough, 
And there we would hand over the booklets that I had so carefully pasted the green stamps in and we would take home a new gadget of some kind. I've never forgotten that. What is redemption? To redeem, what does that mean? It means to obtain something in exchange for payment. That's what we were doing. Another word for redeem is ransom or rescue. The word redeem is such a rich word in the Bible. You might remember the story of the book of Ruth in the Old Testament. The book of Ruth, you should read that book. It's a story about being redeemed. Boaz redeems Ruth out of her widowhood by purchasing the land that belonged to her mother-in-law, Naomi, and in so doing, got to take her for his wife. He redeemed her out of her miserable condition at the time, purchasing her by buying this piece of property. Well, David is saying in Psalm 103, that's kind of like what God did. God redeemed or rescued you from the pit of destruction by the payment of a ransom price. What was that ransom price? What was the purchase price? It was the death of his son, the Lord Jesus, on the cross of Calvary. See, Jesus is your Redeemer, you want to know how much God loves you? Think about where you were when Jesus found you. Think about where you are now as his child. And what will be your future if the Lord Jesus died on the cross for you? Along with that, think of what your future would be if you were not covered by the blood of Jesus. See, if you have turned from your sins and put your trust in Jesus Christ, it means that God has ransomed you, ransomed, rescued you from slavery, rescued you from an eternity of hell and misery. He did that by nailing His own Son on the cross in your place and pouring out His wrath and curse upon Him, sparing you, releasing you from the guilt and punishment and penalty of sin and giving you the very righteousness of Jesus Christ Himself so that now when God looks at you, if you're united to Christ by faith, when He looks at you, He sees more than just a forgiven sinner. He sees a holy, righteous, beloved, adopted son or daughter of God. That's why David can go on to say in verse 12, as far as the east... That's east, yes, yes it is. That's as far as the east is from the west... So far has he removed our transgression. You know why he uses that east-west instead of north and south? Have you ever wondered about that? If you imagine a globe and you start going north, well, pretty soon you're going south. But if on a globe you start going east, you never go west. That's how far away from you God has removed your sins through the benefit of redemption. The second benefit is steadfast love. Steadfast love, again in verse 4, He redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Steadfast. This world needs something steadfast and solid, doesn't it? Everything is changing all the time. Nothing is sure. We don't know what we're going to wake up and read in tomorrow's newspaper, maybe even this afternoon's. Steadfast love. It's the Hebrew word chesed, 
which Matt talked about last week, so I don't need to go into great detail. Steadfast love. It means covenant love. The love of unswerving commitment, of loyalty and faithfulness. And that word is throughout this psalm. Not only in verse 4, but verse 8, 11, and 17. Now, when you see those words, steadfast love in the Old Testament, think of God's inviolable love for you. It's not going anywhere. God's not going to give you up. He's always going to love you because it's not based on what you do or what you don't do or how much you love Him. It's based on what He has done for you, His commitment to honor the terms of His covenant with you in and through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Chesed, steadfast love. And then third, the third benefit I'm going to talk about is mercy. Again in verse 4, He redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Actually, in the Hebrew, it's mercies, plural. I'm not sure why they stuck with singular. He crowns you with mercies. It's the Hebrew word racham or racham, something like that. It means tender, deep love, a love of feeling in the heart. See, steadfast love is more of a love of will, like I'm never going to let you go. I've got you. I'll never violate my covenant. Racham or Mercy is more of a love of the heart, the feeling, the emotion. God has a tender, deep love for you, a deep feeling of love prompted by pity for someone who is weak and helpless. It's also translated compassion, by the way, down in verse 13, where it says, as a father has racham, compassion for his children, so the Lord shows compassion or mercy to those who fear him. And in other places in the Bible, it's used of a mother's love for her newborn baby. My wife is a labor delivery nurse, and she tells me often of the experience she has of when a baby is just born, she gets to take this baby and put that baby on the mother's chest. And the mother often is so... I mean, overjoyed is is not even a... It doesn't say enough. But here's this slimy, pitiful-looking, ugly, crying thing that she has so much love for, compassion. Long before this baby has done anything to bless her, in fact, that baby's been a curse for the past nine months... And yet this mother is so in love and feels this racham, this tender mercy and compassion. See, this verse 4 is a picture of God's love for you. He has redeemed you. He has crowned you. Imagine God putting a crown on you, honoring you. It's He that should be crowned. But He takes crowns of redemption and steadfast love and mercy and puts them on our heads. No wonder the psalmist says down in verse 11, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. Some years ago, a young woman, I'll call her Jenny, not a real name, but Jenny came to see me. And Jenny, uh, I'll tell you a little bit of her story. 
she had abusive parents. So at the age of five, the Department of Children and Families took her out of her home and put her in a foster home. Only this father abused her worse than her birth father had. These parents, though, these foster parents were professing Christians, but they were very legalistic. When Jenny did something wrong, they would make her write Bible verses as punishment. When Jenny did something really wrong, she had to memorize entire chapters of the Bible and recite them back word for word. These parents took her to church at least three times a week, made her get there, made her be there, sit with them every time the church doors were open. So you can imagine by the age of 12 or 13, Jenny was pretty fed up with God. She didn't want to follow a God who was mad at her all the time, who reminded her of her sins and failures and made her feel guilty and ashamed. So the way to deal with it for Jenny, she's looking for love. She gave her body to every boy who came along. Then she turned to drugs and alcohol. And not long before I had seen her, she was spending nights in jail and nights on the street. It looked like Jenny was going to end up just another statistic, another disaster. Except for the fact that a young couple that I'll, I'll call Joe and Alice, again, not their real names, were looking for someone to adopt. You might even say to redeem. And to make a long story short, they were linked up with Jenny. They took Jenny into their home and gave her Chesed and Rachem. Love of the will. Covenant inviolability. Love of the heart. Compassion. Tenderness. Mercy. And Jenny started walking the long, long road to recovery. I know this story because Joe is a friend of mine. Little by little, Joe told me this story that I'm telling you about his adopted daughter. So one day to Joe, I just said, you know, I'd be happy to meet with her sometime. If she'd like to meet with the pastor, I know that's kind of risky, but I'll, you know, I'll try to welcome her and talk with her in any way I can. Well, lo and behold, I got an email from Jenny. And sure enough, she said, yeah, I'd like to meet with you. So she came to my office and sat down and told me much of what I've shared with you and more. And at the end of it, I just looked into Jenny's eyes and I remembered Psalm 103 because it's one of my favorites. And I said to Jenny, Jenny, I want you to know that as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is the steadfast love of God for you. And I don't know where Jenny is spiritually, but that gospel word from Psalm 103, I could tell, and she's told me since then, that it began to change her life. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. See, what Jenny needed that day is what you and I need every day. We need to forsake our idols, those things, those passing empty things that we often look to for joy and life and meaning and hope. We need to turn away from unbelief and remember again and again how much God loves us. We need to say with the psalmist, 
Bless the Lord and forget not all His benefits. Who forgives all your sins, heals all your diseases, redeems your life from the pit, and crowns you with love and mercy. Let's ask God to give us grace to be able to do that. And let's pray together. Oh, Father, thank you for reminding us of your redeeming grace, of your steadfast love, and of your tender compassion toward us. God, we are so sorry that we often have amnesia. We are sorry that we, like the Israelites of old, despite all of your demonstrations of love, have often forgotten it, especially when we're in the Psalm 102 situation. So God, we pray that you will help us to do what David did, to remember these ample evidences of your love and to call them back to our minds and talk to our souls so that your redeeming grace, your steadfast love and mercy will enliven us and cause to be the foundation of our obedience and our holiness and our fruitfulness in a life of living for your glory. Lord, if there's someone here living outside your love today, trying to find love in sinful relationships, in temporary pleasures, in money or success or family or power or something, God, help that one to come to understand that only in a relationship with Jesus is there steadfast love. Lord, draw that person that he or she might know the amazing compassion of you, our Father. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.